Welcome back to our series, Looking Unto Jesus. In our last session, we looked at George Whitfield and a wonderful quote from him, which I'm going to read again. And then I'm going to give you something of an introduction that was written by my hand. And then we'll go on to look at two more quotes, hopefully, uh, from John Calvin and again, George Whitfield. This is with regard to the gospel being the great motivation for us to grow in sanctification. So uh, the quote from George Whitfield. O ye believers, my heart is enlarged toward you. Look to and live much on the blessed Jesus, and then you will live to and act for him more and more. Be thankful for what you have received, but be looking out continually for fresh discoveries of his love and fresh incomes of heavenly grace till you are called to behold this Lamb of God in glory. I'm sorry, but I have to stop here and make a comment on, on one phrase. Fresh incomes of heavenly grace. I don't hear people talking that way much anymore. But this is what we need. Every time you and I see a deficiency in us, in our preaching, in our godliness, in our motivation, in our conversation, or maybe a task has been laid before us that is too big for us, that, is, that requires something more from us than we know we possess. What should we do? Cry out for fresh incomes of heavenly grace. Paul said he worked harder than all the other apostles. But then he said it wasn't he, but it was it was the grace of God working in and through him. Do you see what that means? That we can become something than other, other than what we are. If we're weak, we can become strong. If we stutter, we can become clear. If we're afraid, we can become bold. Not by a work of the flesh, not by screwing ourselves up or winding ourselves up like a clock. But in secret prayer, pleading for greater and greater deposits or incomes of heavenly grace. We're commanded to do so, but that command is a promise that God is eager to fulfill. All oh, brothers, be encouraged. Give yourself to prayer. Every obstacle, every need, every, everything that comes against you, every mountain you must climb should drive you first to the inner chamber to cry out for greater and greater incomes of heavenly grace and greater and greater manifestations of the spirit's life and power in you. Now, before we get to the quotes, I've got a small introduction here that that I wrote to get you ready for Calvin. Um, let me just read it. And as I read it, I'll go ahead and, and make some comments. The transformative power of the gospel, not just positionally. Do you see that? Oh, it is. It does transform our position before God. Ephesians 1 is testimony to that. But it doesn't just transform our position. It transforms our person, our character. Yes, it's lifelong. And sometimes it is slow and tedious. And sometimes it's two steps forward and three steps back. But mark it. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. Not just justification, but sanctification, 
leading to glorification. The transformative power of the gospel not only informs the mind, it does do that, but it also moves the heart. Oftentimes our motivation falls far beyond our knowledge, behind our knowledge, so that we find it difficult to keep pace or walk according to the commands we know. But the gospel works upon the heart, draws out our affections for God and moves us to obedience. This is so important for you to see. Again, I see a people oftentimes plagued by the reality that that we do not love God as we ought. And then they turn to every sort of gimmick to somehow prop up or screw up their love. But none of that works, or it may work for a day, but then you wind down. Dear brother, dear sister, look, what we need is greater revelation of God in Christ, not some mystical experience, but the Holy Spirit illuminating our mind as we study the scriptures. And the more you see him, if you are born again, the more your affections will be drawn out and pull you along. The more we comprehend of God's redemptive work on our behalf, the more kindled our passion and the more likely our devotion will burst in to flame. I can remember three different times uh, in my life. One is when I, I first came to some sort of knowledge that when Christ died upon that tree, he suffered the wrath of Almighty God for me. That astounded me and continues to astound me until this very day. It controls me. Then, then I remember other things learning. I remember my study in Gethsemane, about Gethsemane. Spent months in Gethsemane studying and reading from the ancients and the reformers and the Puritans exactly what happened there. When he said, let this cup pass from me, let this cup pass from me. The reality of what happened in that event, the reality of his suffering that manifested his love, gripped me and grips me until today. I remember uh, studying in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, spending probably two and a half, three months in, in that chapter because it seemed to me to consolidate and bring together everything I knew about redemptive history. And it, it demonstrated how the scriptures were a tapestry that no man could ever have have woven or brought together. And it gripped me what I learned about God's redemption and his redemptive plan in Christ in that chapter. And so this is what we're talking about. This is what we need. This is what you need as Christ's minister, but this is also what God's people so desperately need. I'm afraid that many are starving to death on quaint little 20 minute sermons that are principle based, that are called practical, but are nothing more than secular psychology baptized with a Christian name. Oh, dear brethren, you don't need to look outside the book. Get in the book. And bring to them Christ, feed them with Christ. The great saints of church history were not of any better stock than the rest of us, for all believers are born with the same moral corruption and all are renewed by the same spirit. Do you realize that? Paul, the apostle, 
Job, Augustine, Calvin, Spurgeon were all born of the same stock as we were born, all born with the same moral corruption. And yet it was the same spirit that regenerated us, that regenerated them. That should give you hope. This should give you great hope. But this should also get you to ask a question. Why is it that we both, being regenerate of the spirit, show different levels of devotion? Well, first of all, you need to realize that there are different callings and giftings, and some callings and giftings look more spectacular than others. I know men who have been very hidden by God and whose ministries do not seem that spectacular and their preaching doesn't seem that powerful. Yet on the day of judgment, all will be revealed and we will see that they were mighty in the kingdom of heaven. So we need to be careful how we judge. But if we were look, to look for a reason for the distinction between those with a tremendous zeal and those who lack in zeal, I would have to say it is not their character. It is not that they started at a different starting line than us. It's not that they were regenerated in a better way. It's just that they've seen more of Christ. They have seen more of Jesus Christ. The great distance between their exceptional devotion and ours is simply a greater knowledge of the cross. The cross. Do you think that if you had the mind of an archangel, you know, the tongue of a seraph, and a billion years, you could exhaust the glory of the cross so that there was nothing left to preach. I know you don't think that way, but if you did, you'd be a fool. Oh, dear brothers, we need a greater knowledge of the cross of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The more we know Christ. Now, when I say the more we know Christ. I want you to look at this in kind of a Hebrew sort of way. That word know. And it's carried over in the Greek. That word no is more than just factual knowledge. Now, listen to me very carefully, especially you young ministers. It's not less than factual knowledge. If you do not have factual, propositional, biblical knowledge, you can forget about real devotion. Because real devotion is based on truth, not experience. It's based on truth. So to know Christ requires that you know the facts. The propositions of Scripture. But it's more than that. It's more than that. It's intimacy. It's relationship. How is that cultivated? Through prayer. Through not just studying the word to preach it, but studying the word for yourself to feed upon it, to meet with Christ, to speak with him, to walk with him, to talk with him. Now, I have to say this because it, you're going to experience this sooner or later, that it's not just prayer, but oftentimes prayer in the context of very troubling circumstances. All those rough winds that we would choose to avoid are the very winds that blow us to Christ. I think it was Spurgeon who said he would praise the waves that dashed him upon the rock of Christ. 
The more we know Christ, what he has done and what he has accomplished on our behalf. That's a word, young preacher, I want to hear more of. Accomplished. Accomplished. Not what he will do, even though that is marvelous, but what he will do and is doing is based upon what he has accomplished. He has accomplished redemption for his people and not one thing needs to be added to it. So. The more we know Christ, what he has done, what he has accomplished on our behalf, the more we will be both motivated and transformed. Yes. Yes. I always say this when I'm teaching on marriage, what does my wife need? She needs a better husband. <laughs> what do my children need? They need a better father. I didn't say another one. I said a better one. What does that mean? They the greatest gift I can give my children and my wife is to be a man conformed to the image of Christ and a man who speaks highly and frequently of Jesus Christ. That's what they need. What does your church need? What does your church need? Well, I can tell you a lot it doesn't need. I can tell you what it does need. It needs you to be a, a better preacher. It needs you to be more conformed to the image of Christ. It needs you to be more filled with unction and truth. Your church needs you to pray. Your church needs you to study the scriptures, live the scriptures. What does the world need from you? The same. The same. The men and the women who've had the greatest impact upon this world have been the ones who have achieved the greatest conformity to the image of Christ, who have seen him to a greater degree, not physically, but in the scriptures, by the illuminating power of the spirit, they have seen him to a greater degree and that constrains them constrains them. Well, what started out to be a study that was going to take up one lesson is now taken up two, and we still have two more quotes to go. So we'll look at this in the next session. Um, how does the gospel motivate our sanctification? God bless you.